0: Hey, God, thank you for today. Thank you for the opportunity to come together, um, to talk with each other, commune, and learn about you. Um, I want to ask that you be with Janelle as she gives this lesson. Um, you give her the words to speak. Lord, you give us the ears to listen
1: and the hearts to receive. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.
0: Amen. Thank you, Nate. Don't do that. <laughs> Is this a check? Check. I'm testing. It's oh, there we go. Good. Hi, everybody. Hello. How's everybody doing today? Do y'all want to know what happened with the car? Does everyone, Does everybody know already? Have the rumors spread quickly? Yeah. Not quickly enough. Okay, I'll tell you. Um, there was a cat in the hood of the, a car, the engine of the car. Uh, so we left it there. We sent. No, sorry. Uh, they rescued the cat. It's it's in a little towel and laundry basket, but they've. Uh, it was brent who plays bass his wife's car and they live in lynn haven and it's their neighborhood cat so it made quite the journey so now it's a beach cat and it's getting saved today it's really exciting so uh so anyway but yeah that's what happened just if anyone had that on their mind uh, now you know Yeah, that's okay. Uh, Well, so this morning, uh, we're not going to keep talking about the cat. I'm sorry. That's where the cat stories end. But we are going to be talking about John chapter 12, starting with verse 44. And what's really interesting about today's passage is that this is the very last time Jesus is going to be addressing the crowds that have been following him for the last three years. So after this moment, he's going to be with his disciples, with religious leaders in front of Roman leaders, and eventually he will be hung on a cross. But this section of verses is the very last time he will be speaking with the crowds, the crowds that have been following him for years. So before we jump into these verses, I want to ask if anyone ever has thought about what their last words would be. You know, I know that's not something we probably think about all the time, but, you know, I think it's an interesting question nonetheless. I know last week my dad mentioned offhandedly, like, what would be put on his gravestone, and I was sitting in the audience like, I'm not sure everybody talks about that as much as we do, Dad. <laughs> you know, we talk about it mostly as a joke because he apologizes so much. I say, like, I'm going to put on your gravestone, that it says, like, I'm sorry, you have to be here. Uh, you know, it's something we laugh about. It's not something we stress about. You know, when I think about my last words, I think about with in high school, my last words words as a senior, the senior quote, and the pressure I put on myself to like try to think of something really clever and funny, you know, to show that I was interesting and didn't care, but actually cared quite a bit. I remember what I landed on was something quite forgetful in that I have no clue what it is now. And I'm pretty sure nobody thought I was cool from it or even probably read it. But there are some famous last words that different celebrities have said over the years, and I have a couple for us to look at this morning. So the first one I have for us is from Bob Marley, and it says, Money can't buy life. And he's somebody who passed away at 36. The next one we have is from Conrad Hilton. It says, Leave the shower curtain inside the tub. (laughs) This is the person who founded Hilton Hotels. And, oh, my goodness, if he says it like me, it's like, Please leave the shower curtain inside the tub amen right <laughs> if it's things we say most often then that might be mine as well okay so then the other one is winston churchill and he says i'm bored with it all and this was someone who led the military the british military in world war one and was a prime minister in britain and during world war ii his last words were i'm bored with it all i wonder if these people had these last words planned or just kind of made it up on the spot You know, I've been thinking about this a lot this week, not forever, but just this week while I prepared for my teaching, thinking if this was the last time I had the opportunity to teach on a Sunday morning, what would I say? What would I want everybody to remember? How could I use my words in a way that somehow mattered more than they normally do? And Jesus knew this was it. He knew this was the last time he would be speaking to these crowds. This was the last gathering of people in front of him where he would be giving a sermon. If we knew that Jesus only had one sermon left, what words would we want him to use? What points would we want him to emphasize? What parts would we want him to leave out? We're going to be reading the verses today that start with verse 44, but before we start, I want to read some of the verses from last week to help us remember the context of the audience that Jesus is talking to. It says in verse 37, but despite all the miraculous signs Jesus had done, most of the people still did not believe in him. And then we jump down to verse 42. Many people did believe him, however, including some of the Jewish leaders, but they wouldn't admit it for the fear of the that the pharisees would expel them from the synagogue for they loved human praise more than the praise of god these are the crowds that jesus is talking to this is his audience you know i'm going to be honest here if it were me there with jesus i'd be like jesus don't waste your time you have proven yourself more than enough for these people don't waste your time You've given them miracles and healings and signs and wonders and wisdom. You've proven yourself and they still choose not to believe. But lucky for us, Jesus is better than me. Jesus does not give up that easily. So let's read what he chooses to say with these six verses we're going to read today, starting with verse 44. Jesus shouted to the crowds, If you trust me, you're trusting not only me, but also God who sent me. For when you see me, you are seeing the one who sent me. I have come as a light to shine in this dark world so that all who put their trust in me will no longer remain in the dark. It says that Jesus shouted to the crowds right there in verse 44. Most other Bible translations will interpret the original Greek word as cried out. This is not a God or a man who's you know, comfortably reclining on a couch saying, oh yes, by the way, I'm God. This is a man shouting. He is crying out to the crowds. Not only does he not give up, but he shows the urgency in which he has this message to give. There's not much time. Listen up. Jesus starts by reiterating twice his connection to God, that he's not like everyone else. That he and God are one. So when we see Jesus, we are seeing God. When we trust Jesus, we are trusting God. You know, when people first, when Jesus first showed up on the scene, people were skeptical, which rightly so. If somebody walked in saying they were God, we'd be like, prove it. And he did for three years. For three years, he proved it. Easily proving it through signs and miracles, wisdom like no one had ever heard before. And now he shouts to the crowds, trust me like you trust God. Follow me like you follow God. Jesus' interaction with the crowds reinforces that Jesus desperately wants us to trust him. And notice that Jesus does not use these last words to retract any statements about himself, but instead he reinforces it. He references being the light in the darkness like he did with previous teachings. He references it like the Old Testament story of the Israelites wandering through the dark wilderness and following the pillar of light that led to the promised land. Jesus says to trust him. He says he is God. He is trustworthy. He is the light in the darkness. So this is what I want to say next. I have a pretty good view of everybody's faces from up here. Surprise, I can see you. And I can't help but notice that when these words came on the screen, nobody did this. (laughs) Nobody gasped in shock at these words. This doesn't seem like brand new information to us. I have a feeling most of us in here have probably heard this before and probably already believe it. I know there wasn't a slow clap of like, this is incredible. (laughs) And I get it. This isn't me wanting pity, (laughs) believe it or not. But I get that these words aren't really... My family's like, no, she wants pity. (laughs) You weren't supposed to laugh at that part. Um, (laughs) So, I get that these words aren't really groundbreaking like they might have been when Jesus first spoke them 2,000 years ago. I get that for most of us, this is just a reminder of a truth that we already believe. Here's the thing in the consumer driven culture that we live in, there's a mentality that newer is better. The newer phone, the newer car, the newer house whatever we consider those things an upgrade if somebody came up to me and said janelle i got a new iphone i wouldn't go oh my goodness i am so sorry are you okay no I'd be like, "Woo! congrats you got something better and this goes with our entertainment as well we kind of get sick of the same old stories and the same sequels we want something new something to surprise us something to entertain us And I'm not judging anybody for wanting a new phone or wanting a new movie. Please don't misunderstand me. I'm not judging at all. I promise the point that I'm trying to make is that there's a timeless truth about who Jesus is. There's an unchanging truth about who Jesus is. That's going to look different from the culture around us. It's important for us to recognize that this unchanging truth is not our weakness. It is not our weakness. It's our greatest strength as Christians. Jesus does not line up with our consumer culture. It's a square peg and a round hole. This story has been out for 2,000 years. And I think at this point, there's not going to be a lot of shocking twists and turns that we read in the gospel that most of us don't already know. But that's a good thing. That is a good thing. The money we have, the house we have, the jobs we have, the things in our consumer-driven culture, those things come and go like the tides. But one thing remains. Jesus is unchanging. The truth of who he is and that we can trust him is unchanging. If you come to Eastgate next week, maybe some of you are like, trust me, we won't. Fair enough. (laughs) But if you come to Eastgate next week, it's probably going to look and sound a lot like it looks and sounds today. There'll be different people with a microphone and maybe different verses that we read, but the core of what we believe is going to be communicated every week. And that is not our weakness. That is not because we didn't take the time to try to think of something clever to entertain everybody. That's our strength. This is us intentionally creating a space for us to take our place with the thousands of Christians and millions of Christians over the last 2,000 years. Intentionally creating a space for us to remember who we are. Intentionally creating a space that, well, whatever out there might change, there's an anchor in here that we can reconnect to and remember where we belong in this broken world. The Christian church in America has a tendency... I'm sorry, to try and make Jesus fit in with the consumer culture. I know because people send me a lot of TikToks of pastors doing weird things like ziplining across the audience in magic shows. And I'm like, thank you for sending me that. Uh, somebody else already did, but it's good. Um, and I get it. There's a lot of pressure. There's a lot of pressure on churches to try to fit in with the culture, to try to keep up with the culture, to make Sunday morning seem cool and fun again and Eastgate has had our moments trying that too but it was mostly before everyone had cameras on their phone so just got to be burned in their memory forever <laughs> the old-fashioned way but Jesus doesn't work that way Jesus doesn't seem interested in being a puppet for our egos Jesus uses the last words to the crowds to invite them to trust him trust him no matter what trust him to be that light in the darkness He doesn't need air conditioning. He doesn't need a wireless microphone. He just uses words, words to share with his beloved people. And the people listening, the crowds from 2000 years ago and the people listening in this room today, we all have that choice. We all have that choice to make. Do we trust him? No one can make that decision for you. I cannot make that decision for anyone other than myself. So do we choose to trust him? Do we choose to trust him even when it doesn't feel great? Do we choose to trust him even when we're scared? Do we choose to trust him even when we don't like how things are going? That's for each one of us to decide on our own. I can't make that decision for anybody, for anyone else but me. Let's keep reading and see what else Jesus says to the crowds. In verse 47, it says, I will not judge those who hear me, but don't obey me for I have come to save the world and not to judge it. But all who reject me and my message will be judged on the day of judgment by the truth I have spoken. Okay. So here again, we see Jesus reiterating, reinforcing his teachings from previous messages. He's not retracting them and he's reinforcing that he has come to save the world and not to judge it. But then in verse 48, he also reinforces that a time of judgment is coming. And this can be hard to take in sometimes. Like I like the first part, maybe not the second part as much, but this can be hard to take in. The belief that life without Jesus will result in death. That the only way to eternal life is through Jesus. The reality is that this is not a new concept for the Jewish listeners or anybody familiar with the Bible. We're going to see stories over and over of how life without God results in death. Two of the most famous ones, you know, Noah with the flood that destroyed the earth. The 10 plagues in Egypt meant to free the Israelites and the 10th one being that the death of the firstborn son. There's a cycle of people trying to live separately from God and it resulting in death. But in both of those examples with Noah Noah, and the 10th plague. Jesus, God always offers a means of rescue for his people who will believe him. With Noah, there's a boat. Get on it. Believe in God and you're saved. With the 10th plague, it was the blood of the lamb. Painted on the door frames. Have that and you're saved. God always has a hand, out. hand reached out ready to save whoever is willing. We learn from these stories and what Jesus is telling the crowds that Jesus desperately wants to save us. And the best way that I can think of to describe this interaction is going to require us to use our imagination a little bit this morning. Are we okay with that? Okay, cool. (laughs) Even if you're not, just pretend that you are and it'll be fine. So let's imagine that we have time traveled to over 100 years ago. We've time traveled to over 100 years ago and we are immigrating from Europe to America. Maybe some of us have stories of relatives like, oh, my my family did that. So we're immigrating from Europe to America and we're on a boat and we're taking in the sights and the smells and the sounds of what we're hearing on this boat. Maybe we're smelling the salty sea air. Maybe we're hearing people as they anticipate what New York City Harbor will look like. Will the Statue of Liberty be as grand as we imagine? Imagine exploring this boat and turning a quarter corner to read the words SS Titanic. And your heart sinks. What would you do? What would you do if you were there over 100 years ago on that boat? And you're the only person to realize that you were on a sinking ship. While everyone still walks around excitedly, you know that in a matter of days, this boat is going to be on the bottom of the Atlantic Ocean. I imagine we would probably do everything we could to save as many people as possible. We'd start getting everybody trained for the lifeboats. Here's how life vest works. Come on, get ready. It's coming we'd probably be desperate to save the people on that boat. Imagine if the people that you're trying to get on lifeboats say, Ooh, why are you trying to kill us? Why are you trying to make this boat sink? I'm not. I'm trying to save you. I'm trying to save you. Imagine having a child that you're trying to get on the lifeboat and they're skeptical about trusting you. Get on the boat, please. 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 Let me save you. Jesus cries out to the crowds and he is desperately trying to save us. And I know that because he's dying to save us. He'll do anything. He proved that. Why? Why? Because he loves us. It doesn't matter what we've done doesn't matter what we did this morning. He loves us, every one of us. And just like the choice to trust Jesus, no one can make that choice for us but us. Each one of us has to decide for ourselves, do we grab a hold of Jesus' hand that's reached out to us, that means of rescue, and do we trust him to save us? Let's keep reading the last two verses. Jesus says, I don't speak on my own authority. The Father who sent me has commanded me what to say and how to say it. And I know his commands lead to eternal life. So I say whatever the Father tells me to say. These last two verses, again, are Jesus reinforcing things he has already said. He's summarizing quickly the messages that he has been communicating for the last three years to everyone around him. And he uses these last precious words to reinforce his obedience to God's plan. He does not use those words to say, I know I'm about to be tortured, and it's because y'all are sinners. He says, I know I can trust God. I know that his way leads to eternal life. He does the will of God through humble submission, not my will, but yours. What's interesting is that the verses do not go on to tell us how the crowd responded. We don't know. We know from the context of what we read before that many secretly believed but wouldn't say it. They were afraid of what they would lose, unaware of what they would gain. So let's think about this. We don't know what it says. What's our dream scenario? How would we like the crowds to be responding? What would we want them to do? You don't have to answer out loud, but just think about it. In a perfect world, what would we love for the crowd to do after hearing this? So here's the next question I want to ask. What will we do after hearing this? I'm sure most of us have heard these words and heard these truths, probably not even for the first time, but we're hearing them again today. So now what? What is our dream scenario? How do we walk away from this living? I can't answer this for anyone other than myself, but I thought this through, so I've had time to think this through. My dream scenario is that I would believe it and that I would trust Jesus continue to trust him forever that I would submit to God's will even when it's uncomfortable and even when it's painful and that I would show this gift of salvation through unconditional love to everyone around me through unconditional forgiveness especially to those who don't deserve it what's great about this dream scenario and probably yours as well is that it can be lived out with an old iPhone It can be lived out with an empty bank account. It can be lived out in freedom or in prison. It can be lived out above the ground, below it, and then some. So that's my dream scenario. What's yours? You know, these may have been the last words that Jesus spoke to the crowds, but we know that these were not his actual last words. He went on to be tortured and hung on the cross. So let's read his last words while he was on the cross. This is in Luke 23, verse 46. Then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, crying out once again, we see, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last his last words, his last sentence, an act of trust, a belief in salvation, submission to God. Everything we read about today summed up in one, one sentence. When Jesus died on the cross and his body was put in the tomb, I imagine I can't imagine the anguish the disciples felt at that moment as they watched him placed in the tomb and the stone rolled over the entrance. But you know what I like to picture next? It's not a picture, it's an image, it's a sound. It's the sound of stone being rolled away, of a stone being moved. Because we know that these words on the cross weren't really Jesus' last words either. Because Jesus, he rises again and he continues to speak. His words are unstoppable. His power is unstoppable. His truth is unstoppable. And while these may have been the final words that Jesus said to the crowds that we read this morning, this is not the final time those words were spoken. They've been repeated over the last 2,000 years right up to this very moment, this very day, with a new crowd and a new generation listening. So, it's up to each one of us how we take that, where we take that. Jesus loves us. He wants us to trust him. He's desperate for us to believe in him. Not desperate like hopeless, but desperate as a parent who wants to save their child. Let's be open to what God has for our lives. Right on? All right, let's pray. Uh, I'm going to pray. The band's going to come up and we're going to end with communion. God, we, we give you this time. We give you this morning and we give you this afternoon and this evening. We give you our whole lives. We thank you for loving us. We thank you for showing your love to us. We thank you for all that you've done for us don't deserve it, but we are so appreciative of it. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so this morning we're going to have communion. And this is when we remember what Jesus called us to remember at the Last Supper. At the Last Supper, he held up a piece of bread and said, This is my body broken for you. Eat this in remembrance of me. And he held up a cup of wine. We have grape juice. And, and, uh, and he said, drink this in remembrance of me. This is my blood poured out for you. So this is us again continuing with that unchanging tradition of Christianity over the last 2,000 years and taking our place in that tradition and remembering who we are and remembering what we believe. And this is an opportunity for us to recommit to what we believe and recommit to who Jesus is. And this is an opportunity that when we take this bread and we take this cup back to our seat, we can sit and we can do that prayer. We can pray what Jesus prayed on the cross. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Father, into your hands I commit my life. And we can trust like Jesus does, that God's way leads to eternal life. So what we're going to do is I'm going to... uh, pray again because we do that and uh everyone will be invited to come up we have a table in the front and we have a table in the back uh we have allergy friendly options as well i believe at both tables and um take the take a piece of bread take a cup of juice and go back to your table and this is something you'll just do when you sit back down um you can talk with people if you want but the band will be playing and just encourage everybody to to make that prayer and make that commitment so let's go ahead and pray god we give this time of communion to you we remember what you've done for us we promise not to forget and we're going to show that commitment through what we eat and what we drink this morning in jesus name amen all right so everyone can come up to the front or the back whichever table is better for them and we're going to close with a song of worship You are beautiful. You are beautiful. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for being here. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for speaking to us. In Jesus' name, Amen. All right, Let's speak this blessing over one another. Um, afterwards, if you need prayer for anything, I'll be up at the front, so a few other people uh, if we haven't met and you're new here, feel free to come talk to me. I'd love to meet you. So, Okay, so let's say this together. Father in heaven, reveal who you are. Set the world right. Do your will here like it's done in heaven. Provide for our daily need. Keep us forgiven with you and forgiving others. Keep us safe from ourselves and the devil. We confess you're in charge. You're our provider. Our lives are in your hands. Yes and amen. Go in peace, you children of God.